All right. Well, we are going to get into it today. We're in our summer series called None Greater, Magnifying God Most High. And this morning, we're, we've been putting a magnifying glass on the different characteristics of God. This morning, we're going to put that magnifying glass over a characteristic that is probably not thought of that much. I could be wrong, but it's, it's more of a, yeah, it's just one that's not thought of that much. It's, it's the all-sufficiency of God. Now, that's got a nice, nice ring to it, right? Sounds real theological and real studious and fancy, but it's not a word that we use a whole lot. Sufficiency, all sufficiency. And so it might sound good, but you might be thinking, well, what in the Harry does that mean? What does that mean? And more importantly, why should I care? Why should I care that the God of the Bible claims to be all sufficient? It's a good question. We're going to try and unpack that together this morning. And to do that, I need to tell you a story first. My sister-in-law was in town this week, Kristen, with her, her husband, Tyler. You may have met them last week. They were here. Kristen looks a lot like my wife, Rachel. They look very similar. You may have mixed them up. And they don't just share similarities in looks. They also share personality traits. Now, my brother-in-law, Tyler, and I, we really like to make fun of them about some of the more quirky sides of their personality because it's, it's fun to joke, and we, we sometimes feel like we're married to the same person. And so we, we get together, and we share in those experiences, right? Now, I love Rachel, and I love Kristen, but one of, one of their mo- more notorious personality traits, they are list makers. Their lists have lists right? And they just, they love checking stuff, checking off that list, right? They both got these lists. It's like, oh, what's on the list? What are we doing today? We got a list. We got to check it off or whatever. So Tyler and I joke about that. And we were joking with Kristen about it because she had her list out and all this stuff and was doing it. And she had made the joke that there is nothing more satisfying on earth than checking off that last item on the list, right? Now, you might not be a list maker in here this morning, but we were joking, her and I, and she's a Christian, she loves Jesus, and she, she said this, not me. She said, isn't it, isn't it not so great, right, where we find our, our joy and satisfaction and identity and how productive we are for the day, right? We checked that off, it's like, boy, we got our list done and we feel great, we crushed it. Or if we didn't get all the checks done, then we start to feel kind of lousy about ourselves, right? That's pretty true of humanity. And I got to thinking, you know, you might not be a list maker, but we live in America, and we're very productive-driven. Productivity is like, we want to be efficient, we want to make stuff, and we want to make it fast and efficient and make that money, right? That translates into our spiritual lives. And if we're not careful, we can go through life where we start, we start seeing our identity and our value as being connected to how productive we are. And there are some of us in here that are pretty stinking productive. We're, we're pretty good. We do a lot of stuff. Man, we, we're slayers of productivity. We crush that list. We get stuff done. And man, we sleep good at night because look at what we did. Now, the reverse is also true. There are others of us in here who really struggle to feel worthwhile at all because we're just not very productive. And regardless, I think we, we kind of vacillate between both sides of that coin. And our emotions are tied to whether we did a lot or whether we did a little. And if we did a lot, well, then we start to feel pretty proud about ourselves. Look at us. Look what we did. And if we didn't do that much, then we start to feel pretty depressed and pretty disillusioned about our identity and who we are. Folks, I want to crush that thinking this morning. 
I want to just destroy it. And here's why. There is nothing more joy-sapping in this life than tying your identity to what you can do. And there is nothing that will keep you from Jesus more than thinking like you're something because of what you can do. The Lord despises the proud, but what? He gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. And so, we are going to eat a little dose of humble pie this morning. I do not write the mail. I just deliver it. And so it's going to be it's going to be a little heavy for a minute because we're going to go to a passage that clues us in about our worth and what we can do as human beings. And this is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. I'm just going to it's going to not be super positive encouraging Caleb for a second, okay? But we're going to get there because Jesus is the man and we can always bring it back to Jesus and he loves us and so we're going to get to the hope and the grace but we got to we got to be real about who we are first okay so we got to recognize our need before Jesus can meet it so that that's kind of how we're going to go about this so to recognize our need we're not going to compare ourselves to one another we're going to compare ourselves to the only one who is worth comparing to the God of heaven here's what Isaiah says this is who God is Isaiah 40 Verse 12. Verse 12. Buckle up. Who else, has whole, who else has held the oceans in his hand? God says. Who has measured off the heavens with his fingers? Who else knows the weight of the earth and has weighed the mountains and the hills on a scale? Who is able to advise the Spirit of the Lord? Who knows enough to give him advice or to teach him? Has the Lord ever needed anyone's advice? Does he need instruction about what is good? Did someone teach him what is right or show him the path of justice? No, no. For all the nations of the world are but a drop in the bucket. They are nothing more than dust on scales. He picks up the whole earth as though it were a grain of sand. All the wood in Lebanon's forest, and all Lebanon's animals would not be enough to make a burnt offering worthy of our God. The nations of the world are nothing to him. In his eyes, they count for less than nothing, mere emptiness, but froth, froth. To whom can you compare God? What image can you find to resemble him? Can he be compared to an idol formed in a mold, overlaid with gold and decorated with silver chains? Or if people are too poor for that, they might at least choose wood that won't decay and a skilled craftsman to carve an image of it that won't fall down. Is that what we're going to compare God to? A carved image? Some gold and chains? Verse 21, haven't you heard? Do you not understand? Are you deaf to the words of God? The words he gave before the world began? Are you so ignorant? God sits above the circle of the earth. The people below him seem like grasshoppers to him. He spreads out the heavens like a curtain and makes his tent from them. He judges the great people of the world, the rich, the famous, the Nobel Prize winners, He judges the great people of the world and brings them to nothing. They hardly get started, barely taking root, when he blows on them and they wither. The wind carries them off like chaff. 
To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal? Says the Holy One. Look up into the heavens. Who created all the stars? He brings them out like an army, one after another, calling each by its name. Because of his great power and incomparable strength, not a single one is missing. Church, this is who the God of heaven is. What have you done today? To those of you who end your days with a sense of satisfaction, you checked off that list. You crushed it at work. You got all you wanted to get done, done. To those of you who feel proud of your accomplishments and what you've achieved on your own effort, can I invite you to enter with me into this passage with all your heart and allow it to give us a new perspective? You and I are not worthy. You and I are nothing. We are nothing special. As the Lord says through Isaiah, we are like grasshoppers. We are less than grasshoppers. On our best, most productive days, we are still nothing in comparison to the God of heaven. You might be thinking, well, I don't know. I build a business for myself. Good for you. I raised a, a nice family for myself. Good for you. Maybe you're thinking, well, I got a raise. I just got promoted. I made some money. I got that project done. I served some poor people. I did some good. Got elected to an office. Good for you. But look with me back at Isaiah. Have you ever held the oceans in your hands? You ever measured off the heavens with your fingers? Do you know how much the earth weighs? Could you pick it up like a grain of sand? Have you advised the Spirit of the Lord? Does God ask you for counsel? Does he need your advice? Did he need you to show him the path of justice? Folks, however good you feel because of what you've done with your life, allow this passage to bring you back to reality. Your accomplishments apart from the God of heaven, are worthless. They're worthless. They're nothing compared to the majesty and might and power of God. All human beings are making is history. History. Do you remember who your great-great-grandpa's name is? I don't. That's what God says. When I look at humanity... All you guys are good at making is history. It's emptiness, froth. So if you're puffed up in pride, let's eat a little humble pie this morning. And if you're feeling pretty low about yourself, it's actually worse than you feel. It's worse than you feel. The nations of the world are but a drop in the bucket, nothing more than dust on scales. Think about that for a second. Humanity, we've done some pretty sweet stuff. We put a couple guys on the moon? That's a big deal, right? We've done some amazing things. When God looks out at all of history and everything that humanity has achieved, do you know what his estimation is of it? <laughs> it's dust on a scale. That's how much weight and worth it has. It's empty, meaningless, mere froth. I love that. 
It made me think of, you know, the summer, drinking a root beer float. You pour the root beer over the ice cream and get all that fuzzy stuff that's like gross and doesn't really taste and is annoying. And God says, when I look out at a humanity, you guys are like froth, like the froth on a root beer float. Compared to me, you are nothing. Meaningless. Less than nothing. Emptiness. Froth. Folks, do you see how silly it is to compare ourselves with one another and either get puffed up in pride about what we can achieve or get so defeated and and lose our sense of identity and worth because of what we can achieve? It's silly. God says, you want to compare yourself to someone? Stop comparing yourselves to one another. You compare yourself to me. Compare yourself to me and let me know how that works out for you. He says there's only one worth comparing ourselves to. And when we compare ourselves to him, we will discover that we are not sufficient and we never will be. To whom will you compare yourselves, he says. Who compares to me? Haven't you heard? Don't you understand, God says? Are you deaf to the words that I gave you before I created the world? Before you were born? I sit above the circle of the earth and to me, y'all but a bunch of grasshoppers. When I look out at the world and I judge humanity, all of the Nobel Prize winners, it's nothing. I love it. He says, he says I look out, I ask him at it, and before even people take a root, before they even get started, I just, and they blow away like chaff. The wheat harvest just got finished. I used to do this with my dad when, when he was farming. We'd go through the wheat to check the wheat. Right before it's ready to go, you want to check the, the moisture density. You pick up a, a handful of it. You kind of rub it in your hands and, and you blow over it and the chaff just... God says, loved ones, when I look at humanity, this is what you're like. Chaff. Chaff. Do you see how ludicrous it is to base your identity off of your productivity? makes no sense. God says, if you're still struggling to get this, I invite you to come out in, in a very dark night sky where there's no clouds. You look up into the sky at those flaming balls of gas and you remind yourself of who put them there. <laughs> I call them out like an army. I'm in charge of that. I hung the stars in the sky. That's what I did today. <laughs> That's what God says. On my list, sustain the stars. Breath breath in not just my lungs, in the lungs of every single human being that exists on the face of the planet. Sustain the breath of all human life. Check. That's what God did today. What did you do today? And you might be saying, good grief, Levi. Wow. This is heavy, right? Come on, man. I came here to be encouraged. I came here to get a healthy dose of self-esteem. That's what everybody says we need. Friend, what the Bible tells us is that there's nothing to esteem esteem within ourselves. (laughs) There's nothing to esteem within ourselves. God says if you want help, if you want life, if you want to live and have joy, then you got to come to the end of yourself. Esteem yourself as nothing because that's what you are. And when you come to an end of yourself, then you will be ready for me to supply everything that you lack. And I cannot wait to do it for you because I am all sufficient and that is what I created you for. 
Folks, God did not create us because he needs us. He does not need you and me, right? I love to say this because I think it's, it's a visceral image. It's helpful. The Lord of heaven is not a needy ex-girlfriend, right? Think about that. You've known, or a boyfriend. You've known the situation. Maybe you had to dump one of them because they're like, they just need you so bad. That is not who God is. He's not thinking around in heaven, boy, I hope, that, I hope they really show up today. I hope they don't drop the ball or I don't know what I'm going to do. No. God is Trinity. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That means he has perfect unity, perfect love, perfect affection, perfect friendship, infinitely within himself. To infinity and beyond, God is full and overflowing. He doesn't need you but he would love to supply what you need through that overflow. And you might be thinking, gosh, this is heavy, but I want to encourage you with verse 27 of Isaiah because it is heavy. Isaiah recognizes, boy, I just piled it on. People are going to think God's so big, he doesn't care, he doesn't love us, he doesn't need us. And just to make sure we're clear on that, Isaiah continues in verse 27, he says, oh, Jacob, how can you say the Lord does not see your trouble? Don't say that. Oh, Israel, how can you say God ignores your rights? Have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weary or tired of what? Of supplying our needs. He never grows weary or tired. No one can measure the depths of understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired and young men will fall in exhaustion. Those who think they're special, those who think they can do it apart from God, those who think they're sufficient are gonna get smacked with the reality of life that they do not have what it takes. They will faint, they will get exhausted, they will get weak and weary and burned out. But here's the gospel. Here's the hope. Verse 31. Those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. You might be thinking, man, he just went real Old Testament, right? This is a harsh God of the Old Testament. Surely Jesus brings the compassion and love. And to help you understand that our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, I want, I want to illustrate how we can see the sufficiency of Christ and the sufficiency of God and our insufficiency and how God, God knows that reality and he wants to supply that need. I want to illustrate that for you from a story in the New Testament. It's a historic account that we have documented through four of the Gospels. It's the feeding of the 5,000, okay? So we'll go through it. We're not going to read it. I put the the places up there. You can read it in all four of the Gospels. I'm just going to kind of pull it all together and just tell you the story of what happened. And you're going to see how inf- insufficient we are and how Jesus doesn't let us hide from that reality. But he meets us in it and then supplies everything we'll need if we come to him. Okay? So, the story goes like this. The disciples just went out on a short-term missions trip. How many has been on a short-term missions trip before in here? A couple of you. Super fun also super exhausting, right? It's fun because you get to step out of your comfort zone, maybe be used by God in a different way, maybe be confronted with poverty. It's fun, it's good, but it's also exhausting. So Jesus sends out the 72 disciples and they come back and they're drained. And right away, we are confronted with the insufficiency of humanity. They've run out of energy. 
they need a nap, right? They're like four years old, four-year-olds. Jesus, we, we're tired. Would you tuck us in? Give us a nap, right? So they come back. It's like, it was great, but we're exhausted. We need a retreat. We need a vacation. And so the sufficient God of heaven, Jesus, says, awesome, let's go. Let's retreat to the woods. Let's retreat to the mountains. I will provide for you in what you lack. I want to take you to the mountains. I want to debrief what you learned. I want to train you, and I want to fill your cup back up because that's who I am. So they set out. They're ready to retreat. They're going to the mountains, right? There's a problem. Jesus is pretty popular by this time because people are starting to recognize he's not just a good moral teacher. There's something different about this man. He teaches with authority that no one else has ever taught with, and he heals people. He teaches with authority, and he commands demons, and they leave. Thousands of them, right? The demoniac, got a thousand legion of demons in him. Hey, go into those pigs. All right, pigs go off the cliff. Crazy stuff. He's casting out demons, healing leprosy, and incurable disease. Incurable disease. Jesus speaks to it. Hey, be gone. Clean. He's teaching in power, and he is meeting people's need with his all-sufficiency. That's going to draw a crowd wherever you go. It does. And Jesus, he's not like you and me. I come home from a missions trip, and I'm confronted with a crowd of people. I'm going to a dark place in my heart. God, I just served you and all these annoying people. They want a piece of me. Everybody wants something. Can you just send them away? That's not what Jesus does, because he's sufficient. He's the good shepherd. The crowds come to him, and do you know what it says in John? It says that Jesus was moved in compassion in his heart because he saw these people who were sheep without a shepherd. And rather than send them away, he says, come to me. Come to me. And he teaches them, and he heals them for the whole day. And his disciples play along because you don't don't really want to cross Jesus, right? He speaks to storms, and they stop, so you just kind of go with it. Jesus, we're tired, but all right, man. And it gets to the end of the day, and I love this. The insufficiency of humanity creeps in, but the disciples don't want to acknowledge it. They're thinking humanly, like we all do. We've got this. If we could just get away and get some rest, if we could just get some food in our bellies, then we'd be able to, to provide what this crowd needs, right? And so they come to Jesus, and they, they dress up their insufficiency as selflessness, which isn't, isn't that just like us? Right? We, won't, we don't want to acknowledge our weakness. It's like, no, we're going to be selfless. Hey, Jesus, we need a break. That's not what they say. We're weak, we're tired, we're exhausted. We need a break. That's not what they say. They say, hey, Jesus, we've been here a long time, and these guys, this crowd, they're tired. They, we're in the wilderness. They don't have anything to eat. We should, we should do them the service of sending them away so that they can, they can be fueled up, right? Look how selfless we are. Look, and, and Jesus won't have it. Jesus won't have it because he's the same God as the Old Testament God in Isaiah 40. He will not allow us to think that we're something when we're not. And so when the disciples come and they say, Jesus, we should send these people away because they need, rather than saying, hey, we need a break, listen to what he says. You feed them. You feed them. Folks, there are 5,000 men there. 5,000, which means there's probably 7,000 or 10,000 men, women, and children. If, If we look at that task like the disciples did in our own human effort, thinking that we could do what God is calling us to? Do you see how how ludicrous that is? It's ridiculous. And the disciples are beside themselves. We're exhausted, we're tired, we're worn out. You want us to feed these people? How in the heck are we going to do that? 
There's 10,000 people here. That would take two, two, years, two years wages. We are insufficient to do what is required. And Jesus wants them in that point. He wants them at the end of themselves, not to crush them, but so that they can receive grace. He says, you feed them. They said, we can't. And this is the beauty of Jesus. He says, I know, but what do you have? In all of your weakness, in all of your insufficiency, what do you have? And they go, they look around. Well, we got a Lunchable. We got a Lunchable. We've got five loaves and two fish. Jesus says, perfect. Bring it to me. And the all-sufficient God of heaven takes their lack and multiplies it to not only meet the crowd's need, but to teach the disciples a a lesson. You see, Jesus doesn't just fill everybody's belly up. He gives us an incredible word picture of what it means that our God is sufficient and we're not. The disciples don't have what it takes. Jesus knows that. He says, you bring me what little you have, however insufficient. You bring me that lunchable. (laughs) Bring it to me. You come, you receive from me, and then you go distribute my bread. And that's exactly what happens. The disciples come to Jesus. He fills up their cup. He fills them up with what they lack. He provides their need. And they take out, and they distribute the bread. And they wear themselves out distributing the bread, and they come to an end to themselves, and they go back to Jesus. Jesus, we ran out. You got any more? Of course I do. I'm, insuff- I'm all sufficient. Come here. Let me fill your cup back up. Get the bread so that you can go distribute to your people. Do you, see, do you see the point I'm trying to make here? You and I don't have what it takes. We can't do it. We don't have to because we can know the God who is all-sufficient and he wants to do in and through us what we can never do on our own. Folks, don't get hung up on the fact that you're nothing. Get hung up on the fact that the infinite God of the universe has chosen to love you despite the fact that you're nothing. Let your identity rest in that. And when you're feeling weak and burdened, when it's too much to carry, let me tell you about my Jesus. Let me tell you about my Jesus who loves you and will make a way for you when there is no way. He will cover your shame. He will cover your sin. He will provide for you infinitely beyond what you can ask or imagine because he loves you, not because you deserve it. Not because you're worthwhile, but because of who he is. He is love. He says, come to me, all of you who are weak and weary and heavy laden. When you're feeling insufficient, wearied, burned out, overwhelmed, you come to me and you let me be sufficient when you are not. So what do you say, church? Should we ask him to help us in this? I don't know about you, but I could use some help in this area of my life. Let's go to our all-sufficient God in prayer together. Father, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you, have, that you do not despise us in our weakness. Lord Jesus, for those of us, like myself, that tend toward the pride spectrum, that can start to feel puffed up and really good about the accomplishments that we think we did, I pray, Father, that you would gently serve us a little dose of, of humble pie this morning that you would confront us with how short we fall from who you are 
And Father, for those of us who, who struggle with the opposite side of that coin, we, we feel defeated and down all of the time because we look at our life and our screw-ups and our failures and we just feel worthless because we haven't done anything worthy. For those of us, Lord, would you cr- confront us and remind us that it's, it's probably worse than we feel, but you don't love us based on what we can do or what we can't do. You love us because you are love. And you created us to provide for us out of your infinite supply. You are not offended, Lord, when we come to you in need. Again, you do not put up the stiff arm, but you open your arms and you say, come to me. Let me provide for you. Let me do for you what you could never do for yourself. There is nothing that would give my heart more joy than to supply what you lack. Lord Jesus, would you help us to get over ourselves? to humble ourselves, to come before you and to ask, to ask you to be what we need. I pray, Father, that when we do, you would blow our socks off, that you would do far more than we could ask or even imagine so that your name would be made great and that we could live with joy and peace and rest. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.